Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Finding Dad Bod, where my dad... Coach Alex Van Houten puts his 14 years of experience to work for you. You should listen to him. He's pretty beast mode. Who knows who we could be if we could become 1% better every single day. What's up, guys? This is Alex Van Houten with Defining Dad Bod. I hope you're doing super well. You're listening to Season 3, Episode 38 of Defining Dad Bod, where we're talking about Fasting 101. This episode's been brought to you by the Better Daily community. Join us in becoming 1% better every single day and impact your personal health and fitness and that of your family and your community. Go to definingdadbod.com slash betterdaily as we gear up for this quarter's Faithful 40 Challenge and get ready for summer. That's definingdadbod.com slash betterdaily. Use the coupon code DADBOD, D-A-D-B-O-D, all caps, to save 25% on your subscription when you join today. Go to definingdadbod.com slash betterdaily. Now this episode is going to be a powerful episode, partially because it's been over a year since I promised you a series on fasting. And in that year, there's been some exciting research, and I've gotten a lot smarter since then. Or at least I think we have. I guess we could consult my wife, who loves me enough to agree, even if it's not 100% true. But I'll leave that conclusion to you today, as we talk through what is fasting, whether or not it should be a part of your health and fitness practice, and how best you can get started if you decide to give it a shot. Before we get there, ironically, we have some food for thought. My food for thought for you today comes from one of my final lectures from the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. I mentioned it a few months ago, that I'm currently in school to become a licensed health coach. And there are a number of reasons for that that I'm not going to get into right now. But as a part of the curriculum, we had a frank and robust conversation about the economics around a healthy food supply. This is something I'm particularly passionate about. And if you've been following the show since the beginning, or perhaps have gone back to some of the older episodes I've published, I've spoken at length about the economic forces that often disincentivize us to eat healthfully. Case in point, as an example, water that's more expensive than soda per ounce, or the relative cost of a bell pepper versus a bag of potato chips. In short, it's cheaper to eat food-like substances that only provide calories and no actual nutritious value than it is to put something in your face that provides you more than just energy calories, but protein, phytonutrients, micronutrients, carotenoids, polyphenols, prebiotics, and all kinds of other good stuff that will actually help you build a better you. Now, if you're listening to the sound of my voice, it's very possible that even pointing out this topic makes you feel a little bit of despair. You're one person, and the world's a big place. What can we possibly do in the face of such powerful economic forces? Well, my food for thought for you today is this. In a market where you get to vote daily with your dollars about what you'd like to keep around, are you making personal decisions for yourself and your family that include what you'd like to keep around? Have you ever considered every dollar you spend as a vote? If not, I encourage you to think this way. Every time you're at the grocery store, every time you drive through a drive-thru, Every time you stop by a gas station, every time you order something or pick something up, 
Ask yourself, am I making the world a better place by investing my money into this product or company so that they'll keep producing this thing that I just bought? Now, I know sometimes we're influenced in our decisions about what we purchase for food by realities we can't get away from. Like I said, it'd be all well and good to snack on bell peppers, but when you're looking for snack foods for your kids and you've only got 20 bucks to spend on them, bell peppers are pretty expensive compared to potato chips. But if every single person who makes purchasing decisions about the food in their home made even one change today, and maybe one change next month, to shift their spending in a way that's more healthy for their family and supports the foodstuffs that you'd like to see continued in the marketplace, then from the bottom up, we would see a radical change in the way our food is presented, marketed, and even purchased by our kids. I know it's a big job, but we gotta start somewhere. As for me and my house, we're doing our best to buy only what we believe in. What about you? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Shoot me a message at CoachL at DefiningDadBot.com. That's your food for thought today. I hope it gives you something to munch on. Now, without further ado, let's get to our initial conversation about fasting and how you can incorporate this tool in your health and fitness program. Fasting is such an interesting phenomenon in the health and fitness world that it's almost impossible at this point to do a comprehensive expose of the topic. But since it's one of the top five most commonly asked questions that my clients have on a regular basis, I'd be doing my listeners a disservice if I didn't spend some time on it. The other four, if you're curious, are sleep, supplements, hormones, and macros, which gives you a little bit of insight into why we've spent so much time on each of those topics on this show. But fasting is its own different beast, and I hope today that by talking about some of my experience, as well as my practical application for clients, that will lay the groundwork for an intelligent introduction to fasting, let you walk away with some things that you can use today, and lead us to a broader conversation regarding the scientific literature around fasting. Wish me luck. For this episode, we're going to start with the question, what is fasting? And then I'm going to tell you about my personal background and how it intersected with the world of health and fitness. Then I'm going to cover some of the fads in the world, and how they're affecting people both positively and negatively. And then by the end of this, I hope to give you a few tools or ideas around how you might incorporate fasting into your health and fitness discipline. So first, what is fasting? Our current definition of fasting is to abstain from food, and in some cases, fluid intake. This is most commonly used in daily language, where we refer to the meal breakfast. Breakfast, break fast, is the meal we eat after we've fasted all night sleeping. And so it's safe to say that on average, most people observe a fast every single day. And unless you're waking up in the middle of the night, eating snacks before you go back to bed, that fast can last anywhere from 8 to 16 hours. The verb fast, F-A-S-T, in English has a German etymology, meaning to stand firm or to hold fast, in reference to food specifically. It means to exercise one's full willpower over one's self. And the word goes further back in the Greek, nesteia, which means abstinence, and even further than that into the Hebrew, the word sound, which literally means to cease in the partaking of the enjoyment of food. Why the history lesson, Alex? I'm glad you asked. Because since fasting as a practice has come to the attention of the health and fitness industry, it has blown up into a wide variety of very interesting definitions of something very simple. For our purposes today, as we talk about intermittent fasting, time-restricted eating, protein-supported fasting, 
it's important for us to be speaking the same language around fasting. Quite simply, fasting is to deprive the body of nutrients and the satisfaction of eating on purpose. And in a world where the vast majority of people have not gone without food on purpose in a very long time, it's often a strange and foreign concept that requires some explaining. Now, before I get to differences in definition among the health and fitness space and how I use fasting practices with my clientele, I think it's important to tell you about how I came to fasting. Because while I use it as a tool in the tool belt of my client's health and fitness practice, for me, fasting was born out of a spiritual context. I first encountered fasting while studying the Bible in adolescence. In fact, growing up in Christian communities, particularly a Baptist community wherein potlucks abound, Fasting was something that was often read about in a biblical context, but very rarely ever practiced, or at least in a way that I understood it. As a child, I grew up under the poverty line, and going without food would have been a very bad thing. So the idea of giving up food on purpose was very strange to me. And as we'll talk about later, fasting as a practice is not really appropriate to children and adolescents who are undergoing their important stages of development and require a lot of nourishment and nutrients in order to ensure there are no delays in the development of their muscle tissue, their bone, their tendons and ligaments, and even their brain. That said, I remember reading about people like King David, who after doing something deplorable, gave up food for a time, to show God how serious and repentant he was, and to make a statement to his royal courts around him. I also remember reading about people like Moses, Elijah, and even Jesus, who fasted regularly, and for long periods of time, and as a kid, I interpreted these things to mean that fasting was a spiritual practice that had an important role to play in creating a direct line between the physical world and the spiritual world. Honestly, I didn't think about fasting much further than that, until at age 18, I read a book by a man named Richard Foster called The Celebration of Discipline. And in the book, Richard Foster explored several different spiritual disciplines that in his mind were of paramount importance to the development of a righteous man. The book was well-written and had a profound impact on me, and so I personally began to experiment with fasting. I was young and dumb, so I did a lot of really silly things that I would recommend you not do, like consuming only orange juice for two days while working a construction job and training for a marathon. Hashtag never again. I did several other experiments when I was 18, by the way, that though I learned a lot from, I wouldn't recommend to most people. In fact, speaking of the Bible... Proverbs says that a wise man learns from the mistakes of those who have come before him, and a fool has to learn for himself. 18-year-old Alex was much more fool than wise, but hopefully because of his experiences, we can all be a little wiser with regard to our fasting practice. So I came to fasting as a discipline, through a spiritual practice. Once I got smarter and better at it, it was an important part of my self-discovery process, and even to this day, remains a mostly spiritual act for me. However, something interesting happened, after a few years of practicing fasting, and that is, the health and fitness industry that I worked in started to become very interested in fasting as a health and fitness practice. I'll never forget the first time a client came to our session and said, hey, should I be doing this intermittent fasting thing I've been hearing about? And being unfamiliar with the new scientific literature that was coming out, I said to my client, like a Christian fast, or are we talking Ramadan here? And they just looked at me weird because they didn't realize they were talking about a spiritual discipline, or at least what I understood to be a spiritual discipline. Instead, they were referencing research about how fasting for particular periods of time seemed to improve metabolic rates or even hormonal panels for some people. And so they were asking if they should be going without food for a period of time in order to improve their health and fitness results. 
I went home after training that client for a session and started looking for everything I could find on research related to fasting and its effects on the body. At first, I was pissed off and frustrated because what I thought the benefits of fasting were for me were much bigger in stabilizing blood sugar, boosting the immune system, improving fat burn in your workouts, or even weight loss. But as I kept reading, and over the years the research continued to pour out, I became increasingly fascinated of the positive and powerful repercussions that helping my clients develop a fasting practice could have for their bodies and minds. For me personally, fasting continues to be a spiritual practice. However, I'd be lying if I told you that it wasn't a lot of fun to also know the positive and healthy benefits that are occurring in my body when I exercise that spiritual discipline. So now that you know where I'm coming from, let's talk about how I use fasting with my clients, some of the potential positive benefits, and some of the pitfalls that people are falling into when they do this whole fasting thing. So here are the five things you need to know about fasting in order to get started. First, your mindset around fasting really matters. There's a big difference between going without food on purpose, with purpose, than going without food because you don't have any. This is a paramountly important aspect of fasting that's not really explored in the scientific literature. Jesus actually says it this way, When you fast, make sure you oil your hair, wash your face, and put on great clothes. Walk slowly through the crowd with a smile on your face, and go about your business the same way you would if you were eating. Then you'll have the reward of your fasting. Don't do as some do, and engage in your fast in a way that lets everybody know that you're fasting. Tearing your clothes, putting ash on your hair, and laying in the floor in order to draw attention to the fact that you're hungry. Surely, you already have your reward. What Jesus was saying was, is it's not just important that you fast, it's important how you fast. And while there are spiritual implications to what Jesus had to say about fasting there, the same could be said about the physical response in your body to your fasting practice. From a physical perspective, at its core, fasting is a lot like exercise. It's a intentional stressor that's placed on the body in order to achieve a particular change. If I go for a run on purpose and I enjoy my run, it has a very different effect on my body than if I run away from a mountain lion. In both scenarios, I'm running. The action is the same. However, my belief about the action is different, and therefore, it impacts my body differently. In the one case, exercise running creates adaptations that make me stronger, more endurable, better at burning fat as a fuel source, and more resilient, while the adaptations from running from a mountain lion breaks me down on the inside makes my hair stop growing, my sex hormones stop being produced, and my adrenal glands tap out all of my energy stores. Because when you're running from a mountain lion, the body's not worried about getting stronger for next time, it's just worried about not dying right now. The same could be said of fasting. If you decide to abstain from food, it's important to have the appropriate mindset. Know why you're doing it, and set that expectation well. Be intentional about the things you want to feast on while you're fasting. For me in particular, when I'm very hungry during a fast or during normal meal times, I'll take a walk, read a book, do some writing, or listen to music instead, which have very different effects on me than sitting at the table, watching everybody else eat, and constantly reminding myself via willpower that I'm not eating today. When you're fasting, your mindset matters. Set yourself up for success, set your expectations well, and give yourself some meaningful alternatives for feasting while fasting. The second thing you need to know to get started fasting is that there's no shame in starting small. Remember I told you that the average person hasn't gone without food for a 24-hour period for a very long time? Just because they haven't gone a day without food doesn't mean they don't fast regularly. Remember, the word breakfast, break fast, comes from the idea that we generally don't eat while we're sleeping, unless we have a very strange sleeping cycle, and so most everybody fasts at least 12 to 16 hours every day. When you first get started with a fasting practice, 
One of the simplest ways to do that is to just grow from your current fast. If you ate dinner at 5 p.m. yesterday and you put off breakfast until lunchtime today, then congratulations, you've achieved a 20-hour fast. And as fasting becomes an object of study, we're finding that there are different things that happen at different times when fasting. For instance, for most people, 20 hours is about the time that they completely burn through their glycogen stores. That is to say, you don't have any stored sugar left in your body, and so it signals to the body that you're in a fasted state. Many changes occur, including the release of growth hormone, the production of ketones, and the triggering of the immune system in a process called autophagy. In some studies, a 20-hour fast a couple times a month has been shown to improve health markers like insulin sensitivity and even decreases in rates of depression and anxiety. But the fun doesn't stop there. For folks who are new to a fasting practice, experimenting with pushing their fast longer, going to the 24, 36, or even 48-hour mark, can open the door to many positive and powerful benefits from a mental and physical perspective. When it comes to developing a fasting practice, there's no shame in starting small. At this point, I think it's important to note that the average human being can go somewhere between three and five weeks without a bite of food and without causing catastrophic damage to their internal organ system. So as you're starting small and learning what hunger cues feel like and how to manage them, remember, your body was built for this. It can handle it just fine and just like exercise. If you stick with it, you'll get better every time. The third thing you should know is that fasting affects men and women differently. I've mentioned research on this show that highlights the physical differences between how men respond to fasting and how women respond to fasting. The short of it is, a fasting practice seems to do really well with men and with menopausal or postmenopausal women. Other medical issues notwithstanding, those demographics generally do well to develop a fasting practice. However, the bodies of women of childbearing age, especially if pregnant or lactating, should be very cautious about fasting at all. Personally with my clients, again, other medical issues notwithstanding, Men have carte blanche to develop a fasting practice as they see fit and are able to do so. And women of menopausal or postmenopausal age get to do the same. But when it comes to the amazing, life-giving hormonal system of a female of childbearing age, I find a regular fasting practice to be unsustainable, unhelpful, and probably unhealthy. And what little research there is on the subject actually seems to bear that out and warrants its own show altogether. Just note that fasting affects men and women differently. And while you might hear hype about how particular body compositions can be achieved given certain fasting and feeding windows, I caution you to see who those studies are done on and whether or not they might be applicable to you in your situation. I just had a conversation yesterday with the daughter of one of my clients who at age 17 is extremely athletic, very active, and interested in the intermittent fasting hype. She had already experimented on herself a little bit and was relieved when I explained to her the hormonal impact of fasting and why it probably made her feel the way she felt. Her exact words were, thank you very much, Alex. I was reading all about this stuff, and I thought there was something wrong with me, because after a week of this fasting thing, I didn't feel great, my performance was lower, and I'd actually gained a few pounds. Fasting affects men and women differently. Make sure you pay attention to who the studies are being done on. The number four thing you need to know about fasting is that it's best done intermittently. This is actually an ironic thing to say, because I think the intermittent fasting diet fad is so ridiculous. Let me explain why. Intermittent fasting, or time-restricted eating, is often practiced in the health and fitness world as a thing that people do every single day. I had a client who came to me who was on the OMAD diet. That is kind of like an intermittent fasting diet that has a 20-hour fasting window and a 4-hour feeding window. And so this gentleman was kind of frustrated because after three months of fasting 20 hours a day 
and eating giant meals for four hours a day. His weight loss had plateaued, and I find this to be a very common theme in those who are practicing fasting in the health and fitness community. They try to make a regular schedule out of a fasting practice, expecting positive body composition results. Here's the thing about fasting. Remember, at its core, it's a positive stressor to create an adaptation in the body. But just like exercise, you can't just go to the gym and do the same workout every single day and expect to continue seeing progress in yourself. When you do something every single day, your body adapts to it, and it ceases to be a stressor. I think it's worth saying again, if you do something every single day, your body adapts to it, and it ceases to be a stressor. So I say that fasting should be done intermittently, not the intermittent fasting that's coined if you Google it, but intermittently meaning that your body can't anticipate when it's going to happen. My first exposure to the word intermittent was with my 1988 Honda Accord. There was a period of time where I'd sit down in the car, stick my key in the ignition, and go to start it. Sometimes it would start on the first try, and sometimes it took 10 tries for it to start. Hashtag embarrassing. When I took it to the mechanic, he said that I had an intermittent starting issue. That meant sometimes it started and sometimes it didn't. And there was no rhyme or reason as to when it did and when it didn't. That's what intermittent should mean with regard to your fasting practice. Fasting's not something to be done the same exact way every single day. Instead, it should be applied as a stressor to the body in a way that makes the body adapt to it. So one of the things that I did with the client that I told you about, who had been doing his 20 hours a day fast with a four-hour feeding window, is we stopped doing that. We ate like normal people every single day, getting enough protein, enough carbs, enough fats, and exercising regularly. And then, once every two weeks, we implemented a 24- to 36-hour fast in his life. That meant for him, every other Thursday, he either ate dinner that night or skipped dinner altogether if he was feeling great and had breakfast on Friday morning. The results, from a body fat perspective, were amazing for him. Instead of the plateau that he'd been wrestling with, every single fast found us at a new low, and over a period of a few months, he'd lost 60 pounds. Don't practice intermittent fasting. Practice fasting intermittently. If you're looking for health and fitness benefits from fasting, you need to be just as smart about your fasting practice as you are about your exercise practice. Remember, if you do something every single day, the body responds to it by adapting, and then doesn't adapt anymore. If that whole scheduling thing sounds really intense for you, maybe we should do a jumpstart together. You can find the link in the show notes below, and let me know in the consultation practice that you'd like to work a fast into our process. I'll help you schedule it intelligently and troubleshoot some of the issues that you struggle with there. That's definingdadbod.com jumpstart, or the link's in the show notes below. We got one more tip to go, and we'll wrap this show up as a great foundation to start a fasting conversation here. But the last thing you need to know, number five, about beginning a fasting practice is get some support. It's been my experience that if somebody hasn't gone without food for a long time, going without food can be a scary thing. Sure, Coach Alex told you you're not going to die because you could theoretically go without food for 30 whole days without dying, so it really shouldn't be that scary, right? Well, there's a lot more to it than that. Turns out we eat for a number of reasons that have nothing to do with staying alive. Sometimes we eat because it's mealtime. Sometimes we eat to regulate our emotions. Sometimes we eat as an excuse for a break from what it is we're up to right now. Sometimes we're bored. Sometimes we're making peace with our neighbor, or even more importantly, our wife. And sometimes we eat because a three-year-old shoves a graham cracker down your throat, and not chewing it will result in you throwing it up. There are many different reasons why we eat every day. And while fasting is a theoretically simple decision to make, gee, I'm not going to eat today. Let's see how that goes. It also shines a direct light on literally everything that your food impacts in a day. If you've never done it before, 
it can be very overwhelming, and things can become obstacles for you that you never imagined were driving forces in your food. These sorts of realizations, and that sort of weight, requires a powerful support system, preferably one that you're not brushing shoulders with while you're fasting. Remember, part of the winning mindset of the fast is to be yourself in such a way that nobody in your daily life notices that this is you without food. And in my practice, I've found that there are only two ways to accomplish being you without your food. One, lots and lots and lots of practice and patience. Two, a partnership with somebody who's had lots and lots and lots of practice and patience. There really is no way around it. If you're not practiced in fasting, you need a powerful support system. Either a coach, a community of people who are fasting regularly, or a friend or mentor who's been there, done that, got that t-shirt, and can help you keep your head right and do what you say you're going to do. And I know this to be true because of the clients that I've worked with who've told me, Alex, I never would have got through that without you. So the number five thing you need to know about developing a fasting practice is get connected to a powerful support system that can help you work out the kinks and stay accountable to a positive and disciplined fasting practice. The last thing I'll say about fasting here before we wrap things up is a list of don'ts. Don't try to fast if you're still an adolescent, pregnant, breastfeeding, or undergoing current treatment for thyroid, kidney, liver, or heart disease. Each of these states are not amenable to fasting, and at the very least, should be done under the supervision of a licensed medical professional. You should also be very wary of incorporating a fasting practice. If you have a past history of untreated disordered eating, anorexia, bulimia, or orthorexia can all be indications that a fasting practice will own you rather than you owning your fasting practice. And my other don't for you is don't get discouraged. If you've tried fasting and it doesn't work well for you, maybe you just need a second opinion. Reach out to a practitioner you trust, and if you don't have one of those, I'd love to be a help to you. Shoot me a message at coachal at definingdadbod.com. So there you have it, an intro to fasting. I hope my story, the definition of fasting, and these five tips to help you get started give you a good foundation and springboard to incorporate a powerful fasting practice into your health and fitness journey. This has been Alex Van Houten with Defining Dad Bod. Until next time, guys, kick butt, take names. The free practical advice and conversations here remain unbought and unbiased thanks to the support of Better Daily. If this episode has been helpful to you, share it with someone in your life who you know it will benefit. Then subscribe to the podcast and leave us a raving review to tell others what value Defining Dad Bond has brought to your health and fitness journey. Finally, if you're struggling for betterment, don't do it alone. We all have a cross to carry, and it's lighter when we do it together. Go to definingdadbond.com slash betterdaily to get supported, challenged, and inspired to take yourself to the next level. Who knows who we could be if we could become 1% better every single day. Go to definingdadbod.com slash betterdaily today. That's definingdadbod.com slash betterdaily.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.